All right, praise God. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I am so enthralled with this book. I've, you know, I did a men's discipleship years and years ago when the church was young at the house, uh, my house I lived at like seven houses ago. And, uh, and we went through some of 1 Timothy and it, it was just such a time of uh, joy uh, for the brothers, but for myself as well, because it challenges you to really grow uh, it's a great book to disciple people with. That's why part of this series, we start off calling it Discipleship 101. Because you have Paul, who's calling Timothy his child in the faith. Paul, a master builder, as he called himself, discipling Timothy, amen? He's telling Timothy to take what he taught him to teach other good men that they could teach others. And that's it, to grow. So we have words inspired by the Holy Spirit to help us grow. And these were meant to be taught to us read by us and heeded by us and heard by us and so forth. And so just in my own walk, I'm just, I just love this, this book. And we start off, you know, one verse and then the next week, I think another verse. And then the next week we look at verses three and four. So we got two in a row. And now this week we're going to do at least two again. Uh, the next verses after that, the two that I'm going to get into are a unit of thought. And I don't want to just get into it and leave it hanging. And it deserves some attention uh, but this, this uh, 1 Timothy 1.5 is one of my life verses. You know, it's one of my, my life verses that I, that I think of from time to time. There's certain verses that I, I just seek and I, I cry out to the Lord with I, I, that just hit my heart, that show me, you know, who I'm supposed to be, who you're supposed to be, who we are supposed to be. And there's a favorite verses that we have, but some of my life verses are verses that I live by. Like the scripture that says in Micah 6, you know, 7 and 8, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Ooh, what is that, Lord? To do justly. Do what's right, right? To love mercy, amen? Not just to love his mercy, but also to love showing mercy to others because we need to show mercy to each other, right? And to walk humbly before thy God. Those are good words to live by, amen? amen. I love that because he takes 613 laws of the Old Testament and he distills them into a few uh, instructives not that they replace the law, but they show you the totality of the heart condition we ought to have as Christians. And I believe 1 Timothy 1.5 does a lot of the same. And it's why it's one of my life verses. And I hope it becomes one of yours or it's something that you at least keep in mind, that you apply to your life. Paul, verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, as I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. Which is really interesting. I pray, Father, in your son's name that you'd reach those Mormons that visited last, uh, last Wednesday. But we had uh, four Mormons that showed up in the back last Wednesday. And praise God, we, we love Mormon people. We pray that God, you know, that they would find the true gospel in Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, but I didn't anticipate preaching to them. But I just preached through the text because there they were, you know. Brother Brian Bean brought them. And there they were. And I thought, wow, so many of these things I... I and of course, I added a lot of things in, man, because there they were, right? But they it just fit into my message. So if you listen to that message and you know Mormonism, I probably hit it like 20 times or so. And they're supposed to leave at 8, 15, uh, 8 o'clock. They stayed, I think, till like 8.20 or so, which was great. 
Even verse 4 deals with not being, you know, caught up in genealogies, right? I mean, Mormons have the biggest archive of genealogy, genealogical history than anybody on the earth, you know? And it's just, I thought, wow, what timing. And I just was like, Lord, please speak to their hearts. Set them free. Because there are four elders that came. But their elders have just passed puberty, you know? And I think I went to the scripture, you know, I mentioned, you know, the elder must be the husband of one wife, you know, and so forth. It just doesn't, when you, when you are claimed to restore the church, if you restore a 57 Chevy, it better not look like a VW bug, okay? <laughs> and that's what you have going with the Mormonism. It doesn't look anything like the early church. So it's interesting. But then when we pick it up in verse 5, well, in verse 4, I wanted to spend just another minute there. Not paying attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So when you get into all kinds of weird tangents, and you're no longer serving the Lord, you're no longer praying for the lost, you're no longer praying for the saints, you're no longer missional-minded, and you just get into tangents, and you just become, and there's millions of professing Christians who all they do is they chase things all day long, and they're not really building other people in the faith. You've got to be careful that that doesn't happen to you. I'm not saying not to research, not to know what's going on. I mean, look at all the videos we have out. We do believe the Bible says have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And we need to be about the Father's business in doing that for sure. Amen? But guess what? We give an awful lot of instruction, you know, uh, in, in the walking and living for Jesus. That's, what the, that's the main thing. Amen? And the only thing, reason we even expose things is to let people know what they are neck deep into, you know, and they need to repent of and get right if they're claiming to be Christians because a lot of people are caught up in a lot of wickedness. And so we're not against uh, researching. We're not, the Lord may put a specific thing on your heart too. God can do that with different believers. We're all, we have different callings. But, if, but the point is this, if you are so immersed in all the strange things going on out in the world that you're not walking with Jesus, you're not seeking to live a holy life before him, you're not, you're not, you're not crying out to him, in prayer, worshiping him in song and not ministering to other people, encouraging them in Christ and just focus on yourself and, you know, looking at things all the time but, and, and just having, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Amen. Love edifies. So well, he wants us to grow in knowledge. He tells us that over and over again. We're commanded to grow in knowledge. That's an important thing, but not at the neglect of love. We're supposed to do the both, do the one and, and grow in the love as well. Amen. And that's why it says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And these folks, in verses 7 onward, it says, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. They're putting people under legalistic standards, under the Mosaic law, which we'll get into later when we look at verses. That'll be next week, Lord willing, verses 7 and following. But I really wanted to hone in on verses 5 and 6 because... This is what our focus needs to be, is our walk with the Lord. But the goal of our instruction, the goal of our instruction, remember he said, teach, make sure these people aren't teaching strange doctrines. Now he's contrasting that with the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Wow. From, uh, from, uh, for some men strain from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion. And you don't want to be fruitless in your walk with Jesus, amen? And Satan would love to people get, keep caught up on tangents to where they're not serving the Lord anymore, you know? 
there's needs in the fellowship, but they don't step up. Instead, they get involved in a bunch of stuff that's not really bearing fruit, you know. So we want to make sure also our pursuits, you know, uh, if we're going to have some main pursuits, they ought to be pursuits that glorify the Lord. We're able to use that information to encourage people to know Jesus better, amen? So, uh, and of course, I'm not saying you can't spend time here and there looking at this or that and the other. I'm all for that to a degree, as long as it does not impede your walk with God, amen? Now, there's three components that are mentioned in verse 5 that he mentions are, are supposed to be our goal, right? A pure heart, a good conscience, amen, and a sincere faith. Uh, but what rears its head in a lot of churches, and you have to be careful that in your own walk, in your own home, is a three-headed monster, okay, which is the opposite of these three things. And the opposite of these things would be not a, you know, a pure heart, but a perverse heart. A lot of professing Christians that have wicked hearts that are unrepentant and, and are just living wicked lives. A lot of churches cater to that. They don't have church discipline. They don't encourage people to walk holy. If people are, you know, messing around with someone else's wife or they're watching pornography or doing wicked things, getting drunk, they don't do anything about it. And it's just a little bit of leaven leavens a whole lot, but a lot of churches are just filled with leaven. So a perverse heart is one ugly head out there. That's opposite of a sincere heart. A good conscience, Paul says, that we're supposed to have. He warns about having a guilty conscience. These would be consciences that are defiled, that are uh, guilty because they're not under the blood and they're not repenting of their sin. And he says, and a hypocritical faith. A hypocritical faith. Well, Paul says to have a sincere faith. So the three-headed monster, that next head would be a hypocritical faith. That's what he warns against. Okay? There's many people that have a hypocritical faith. It's not a sincere, true, genuine faith. And certainly... When we look at the first thing on his, his list, you know, pure heart, it starts with having a pure heart, amen? Having a heart that's just totally, you know, immersed in God's word. And now the church at Ephesus, and this is, we always have to balance these two things and make sure they're both, you know, ba basically they both have some, they have preeminence in our lives. And that is that we need to have an emphasis on solid biblical teaching, Amen. Our houses, Jesus said, if a man builds his house on the rock, that's the man who built his life on my words. Amen. The storms come, you know, the waves come, he stands. But the man who builds his house in the sand, does he build his house on my word? Great is to follow that house. That's serious stuff. And that's why in verse 3, 1 Timothy 1, 3, which we looked at last week, he talks about not commanding, commanding Timothy with authority. It's a, it's a military word. Boom. You do not teach strange doctrine in the fellowship. You need to be serious about that. But in verse 5, he emphasizes what? Having pure hearts, man. Having a good conscience. Having a sincere faith. And, and this book is about discipleship. And if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and be what he's called you to be, this is going to be, as he says, this is the goal of our instruction, right? Love from a pure heart, amen? And a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And by the way, the word from, all three components are related to that word from. They're, they're meant to be understood together. See, we don't just don't want to say, oh, I, I want this, but these other two things I don't, no, no big deal. So uh, the church of Ephesus had struggled with doctrine. Uh, we know that that became a problem. We know that Paul said to Timothy in Acts chapter 20, uh, you know, he, I, I'm, I'm, prior to him writing to Timothy here, he said to the church at Ephesus that wolves would come in, right? not sparing the flock. 
They would shred them, man. People from, he, he's talking to the elders in Ephesians or Acts 20. Talking to the church at Ephesus, same church that Timothy's at right here. And he says, wolves will come in among you, not spearing the flock, and from your, not just outside, but from among your own selves. Men will rise up, drawing disciples after them, not spearing the flock. Wow. So he says, I commend you to God's word. How does he spare them from being decimated and ripped to shreds by wolves in sheep's clothing? I commend you to the word of God, he says. We have to be in the word. Remember, I warned last time that, there are, that <laughs> the Great Wall of China is, what, like 5,000 miles long? That's like way longer than our country is long. <laughs> 25 feet high, 25 feet wide in most, many of the portions of that wall. 25,000, 25, I didn't say this last time, 25,000 watchtowers on that wall at that time. Yet they were decimated from within because a general from within opened up the doors and the Ming dynasty in just a matter of years became history. So we have to watch out for false doctrine. But in the meantime, when you're dotting your theological I's and crossing your theological T's, you have to make sure that you don't forsake love. In fact, at the end of Ephesians, the very last chapter 6, the very last verse, last two verses, he emphasizes that we're blessed if we have an undying love for Jesus. And guess what? Paul, I believe, writes 1 Timothy, and most scholars agree he wrote this after the warning in Acts chapter 20. And I believe it was written after these false prophets had come in and and some men from within were decimating the church of Ephesus. Hence, why you have John writing his epistles to the church of Ephesus, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. The book of Ephesians was written earlier. And then this book here, and then 2nd Timothy, and then the book of Revelation, written in the 90s, addressed to seven churches, and then to all the church, whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, amen. But what happened in that church? Ooh, they got back on track doctrinally. They heeded verse 3. But I don't think they heeded verse 5 very well. Because in verse 3, warns for, watch out for strange doctrines, and they were doing that. Jesus says to them in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, you know, he commends them. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and has found them to be liars. And thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Ooh, good job. Got an A there, you got an A there. But the very next verse, but I have somewhat against you, because thou hast left thy first love. That's verse 4. Remember therefore, for whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and remove that candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Wow. What, where's the candlestick? Jesus is in the midst of the seven candlesticks. That's his presence, amen? I want to take your candlestick away from me. Your church is going to reject me and just look at my, my, my teaching as, you know, some kind of guide, but it doesn't guide you to my heart. You don't seek me. You don't, you don't consider the sacrifice I made for you. You don't consider the love that I poured out upon you. You don't consider all that I've done for you, and you just kind of, you know, doing your own thing, but mouthing certain scriptures, but not really living for him. You want to make sure you love Jesus, man. And that's easy thing to heal. If you're waning in your love for Jesus, easy thing to be healed of. You know what? All you have to do is start looking to Jesus. All you have to start doing is looking at the cross, amen. All you have to do is start remembering what he's done for you. Remembering your first love. 
And I remember, you know, before I came up and I preached a men's retreat, and Chad and I did the seven churches, and we were asked to do a men's retreat with a lot of the uh, Blessed Hope brothers, uh, men's retreat, not brothers, I was about to say brothers and sisters. No sisters were there. And we went to Connecticut and, you know, and we, Massachusetts and Connecticut and did the, the deal. And you know what I was going to bring? I was going to bring a, a, prior to that, I wanted to get a nail and stick it in my pocket. So whenever I'm grabbing my keys, everyone else says, ouch, just a little tiny, you know, little finite reminder of the infinite sacrifice he made. When every once in a while, man, ouch, good. Draw blood, praise God. I, nothing, you know, it's just a reminder. And you know what I was going to do it that week? I didn't have time. I just didn't. I had time. I just, I thought, I'll do it when I get back. At the end of that men's retreat, a brother comes up to me, an older brother, and the story is way more beautiful than I can even begin to really get into because it was such a, a providential thing. And he came up to me, his older brother in the Lord, and, uh, and he was just in tears. And he said, I have a gift for you. And it was really cool because I was mentioning John 3.16 to him. For God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten son, right? They, you know, and I was just encouraging that God loves everyone, you know, because he came from a doctrinal construct that didn't necessarily believe that Jesus died for everyone. It's a long story. And he started weeping. That's amen kind of thing. Wow. He goes, I have a gift for you. And I thought, and he gave it to me. And it was a heart with a cross in it. It goes in your pocket. It's a keychain. I thought, wow, that's interesting because that would remind me of Christ's love. And I go, look, for God so loved, there's a heart. The world, they gave him, we got the son. They gave the son, there's the cross. They whoever, because I was trying to, you know, he comes from a Calvinistic background and we got into it a few times. And I was emphasizing God's love. And he's just a beautiful man. He's a blacksmith. This guy is an awesome guy. And he goes, I want you to have this. I go, wow. I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy. It all, well, it's, not, it's not nails, but it's a, uh, it's a good reminder. And then he tells me, he goes, by the way, not only is he a blacksmith, but for that, he uh, fit horses, horseshoes. He goes, by the way, these two, these, these things right here, these four things, those are like for the four nails of the cross. These are horseshoe nails. I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know? I go, Lord, you are so awesome. Uh, I got to sharpen them or something or make them stick out or something because they don't cut me yet. But not that I need to be cut. I'm not a, one of the, I'm not a sadomasochist. But, uh, but anyway... Just think of what the Lord did for you, amen? And, 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 and meditate upon the cross. Sing songs about the cross, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his great love for us. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, amen? Do you drive to work? Why don't you listen to music that encourages you in Christ, amen? Don't be filling your, 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 your head space and your heart space with filthy music. Do you think the Lord... Do you think if you were with Jesus, you'd put on music where it's cussing and stuff? It's about sexual sin? Well, aren't you claiming to be a Christian? Don't you believe Jesus is with you if you're a Christian? And wouldn't that grieve his spirit? I mean, we wouldn't talk in front of each other that way. We certainly wouldn't talk in front of the Lord that way, but we're going to gravitate toward music that's disgusting and wicked and foul? No, man. The Bible says, you know, it's a prayer right? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, right, be pleasing to you, Lord. So I can't say, hey, Lord, you know, help my words be pleasing to you and, and help the words, help my meditation in my heart, my thoughts be just pure and then stick on Eminem. Sorry, it doesn't work. You got to say, is, am I really following Jesus if I'm gravitating to all the filth in the world? I love you. That's why I speak this way. 
Because God wants you to have a sincere faith. He wants you to have love from a pure heart. He wants you to have a, a good conscience. And I'll say a lot of things, you know. I'll speak the truth according to the scripture. And I do it in a loving way. I love you guys. But we're not out to have the biggest church. We never been, it's never been about that. I don't know why. The Lord, by his grace, has allowed us to touch millions. If you look at our videos, we've, some got millions of views, you know. That's beautiful. And that's a good thing. But not everybody that hears the truth sticks with it or follows it. Amen. And we want to make sure that verse 5 is serious. It's easier to go to a secret sensitive uh, church, you know, where they, where it's easy to get big. You know what you do to get big? You just don't confront sin. You don't confront doctrine. You don't say, hey, this doctrine is wrong. This doctrine is destructive. And you don't deal with bad behavior. You just don't want to know. You just let it go. But that becomes your church, you know. That becomes a, like Rick Warren, he's about his whole thing, the purpose-driven churches. Sorry, i got to be honest. It's about just total unity. And don't, he, he says, don't use the word repent, you know, when you preach, you know. Uh, his, his, his Bible prophecy, uh, that's satanic. He said, he said that Bible prophecy uh, is a, a satanic distraction from fulfilling God's purpose, you know, the Great Commission. No, it's not either or, you guys. It's both, amen? Wow. And I think that's because one reason, I don't know his motives, but I know he teaches a three-legged stool approach to the history what does the Bible say is going to happen in the end times? It tells us it's going to be a world government, right? A world religion, the Babylon the Great, a world government under the Antichrist, world commerce, right? One world, you know, the mark of the beast. Well, Rick Warren says the kingdom of God can come before Jesus comes and be established on the earth because we're going to, the kingdom, his peace plan is to bring peace to the world through a three-legged stool. You need three legs. One is, world, uh, one is uniting business, commerce, with religion, with government. Is that what the Bible says is going to happen before Jesus comes back? No, no, it does. It does, but under who? Under the Antichrist, right? So this is scary stuff, the stuff that's going down, okay? And we exposed a long time ago. You can watch a video we have. We did a video called This Emerging Church, which I think you could get free on Amazon Prime. I know, I know we've got a ton of people right in from Amazon Prime that have watched it that we're so happy about it, ordered up some other stuff. Is that free on Amazon Prime, bro? That's free on Amazon Prime. Just watch this emerging church. What's that? $2.99. Okay. If you need to borrow $2.99, I'll help you. Okay. What's that? You can watch it. Get a free copy right here, guys. Okay. Just ask right up front, you know. But we have a whole section on Rick Warren. And right now, guess what? There's all kinds of churches that are called purpose-driven churches. And I, I mentioned this because I just heard they had the 20-year anniversary. I knew a lot of churches were passing out his stuff recently, but I didn't know why. And it was the 20-year uh, anniversary of the purpose-driven uh, life. And there's a lot of scary stuff there. And we talk about, I, I show, you can go watch a video we did on him separate from the Submerging Church, which is on his fork. Just go to Good Fight and type in Rick Warren's Fork Tongue. And on one side, he's like totally preaching sharing that we got to oppose or we got to stand up for Proposition 8, right? You know, against gay marriage here in California. Then we show you where he's denying he ever did it. And I show videos of both. I go, this isn't right, you guys. People are being led astray. And according to his wife, and this is what happens. His wife, Kay Warren, 
And right here, when we read in 1-3, Strange Doctrines, Kay Warren said that he was mentored in part by Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral. And Robert Schuller would go to Unity Temples, New Age Temples, where Jesus didn't die for the sins. They don't teach that. They teach that, you know, uh, Christ, Christ uh, consciousness, that, that every kid should have Christ consciousness. And just, that, it's not the same as the Jesus of the Bible. And then I had the tape because I was given that tape by somebody a long time ago in, uh, in the, I think it was the 80s from when he was at Unity Temple. He said, I can let my hair down because I'm talking to you guys. Like, woo, you're talking New Agers. And he gets a question at the end, question and answer. He goes, what are we supposed to do in the New Age? In the New Age, in the New Age, in the age of Aquarius, they even say. So you know what he's talk they're talking about. He goes, it depends where you're working. He goes, you guys here at Unity, you, know, you guys are doing it good. But I have to work around, you know, I'm ministering to people you might call fundamentalists. So I take terms like repentance and other terms that they use, and I repackage their meaning. Well, Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife, because what, Rick, what, what Robert Schuller did in Orange County is he went door to door. Hey, can you tell me what like, kind of message you like to hear from the pulpit at churches? You know, that's not how it works, guys. <laughs> it's what saith the word, amen? And then, you know, what happened, and it's sad, all kinds of people, it got huge because you're tickling people's ears, it says in the last days, telling them what they want to hear, right? And she said that she, that uh, he did the same thing. Rick Warren went door to door, Orange County, asking people what they want to hear before, as he started his church. Okay, this is not biblical Christianity. You could have, it's Christianity light, you'll still hear a lot of Christian things at these churches, but you won't hear warnings of false doctrine, uh, because you don't want to rock the boat. Non-rockaboatitis is the disease that church has today. However, at the same time, we could be aware of these things. And I need to make you more aware of these things, perhaps, because uh, we need to be, uh, have an understanding of what's going on out there. We have to walk in love. Amen? We have to love people that are in these churches and people that are led astray and care for them and encourage them in Jesus. Amen? And speak the truth in love to them. And here we see in verse 5, the main verse we're looking at, and verse 6, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Well, if we love, you know, love, we just don't talk about false doctrine. Hmm. Uh, you're skipping verse 3, two verses earlier. Paul, who's saying to love from a pure heart, is saying we're supposed to warn against false doctrine. Amen. And then in chapter, at the end of chapter 1, he deals with two men by name. He names them who are teaching false doctrine. We hand it over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. You know? In chapter 4, a couple chapters after chapter uh, 1, uh, go to chapter 4, you don't have to go there, but the first few verses, the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Woo! 1 Timothy 4, 16. Watch your life, Timothy, and your doctrine. In so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. Over and over again, there's an emphasis on sound doctrine. In 2 Timothy, you know, chapter 3, you know, all scriptures inspired by God, right? And profitable, right? So the man of God can be what? Thoroughly equipped, right? For every good work. But he goes on to say a couple verses later in the next chapter, preach the word to Timothy in season, out season, reprove with the word, rebuke with the word, right? Encourage, re reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not heed sound doctrine, but after their own lust, though he themselves teachers, 
and they'll tell them what they want to hear. And a lot of people, they just want relational type messages. They want just simple, little, easy. They can just kind of do their own thing and feel like they're following the Lord. They don't want to get serious. They don't want to be shaken up. They don't want to be convicted, you know. And that's heartbreaking. But if you're going to come here at the Blessed Hope Chapel, guess what? You're going to leave here. I think Rich said something to me one time, you know. It was on a Sunday after service. It was like 20 minutes after. And he said, Joe, and Rich sometimes has a really good way of putting things. He's like, man, sometimes I leave here high as a kite, man. And sometimes I leave here scraping my rear end on the ground. <laughs> you remember saying that? That was pretty good. What's that? Oh, no, I won't say that. <laughs> uh, but, but you know what? Praise God, because he's, but he's like, I want truth. Here he is, what, 10 years later now, bro? Praise God. We have to love the truth, amen? And Jesus would give them hard sayings sometimes, and they'd follow him. many would follow him no longer. I just said, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. I'm going to love Jesus, share his word, uh, and, and love people, not give anybody any excuse. Because if you know me, I've been walking in fellowship with my own family and then became a Christian in the fellowship here over 30 years. Anybody who knows me knows I love you guys, you know. And all these years, by the grace of God, I don't have a reputation of hurting people. So if somebody's going to leave, it's because they don't want God's truth. If they're going to leave because they want to get their ears tickled, you know. So I'm saying watch out for seeker-sensitive churches that are just trying to grow because they want big numbers. It becomes like a business. It's called, not ministry, it's called business tree. Okay, and that's not right. Now, it doesn't mean a fellowship that preaches the word and is strong in the word and so forth won't grow and become big because that can happen too if the Lord waters a church like that. I mean, praise God, by the grace of God, we've ministered to a lot of people in our fellow, through our fellowship. That's awesome. But we don't tailor our message to make it acceptable. Methods can change, but the message cannot change. Amen? And the method, method could never contradict the message. So uh, we have to speak the truth in love. How many times do you hear me say, the two pillars that we need to be emphasized, and they have been emphasized as fellowship through the years, may they be emphasized even more to the, by the power of God to his eternal glory, is truth and love. Amen? Those are two huge pillars. We can't just have the truth, though. We have to walk in love. When he says to Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering doctrine, time coming, he He goes on to say, right after that, endure afflictions. Endure afflictions. In other words, Timothy, you know, be long-suffering. It's going to be hard. And Timothy stood by him because it's important for us to know that as believers who are doing the will of God, we are going to go through some hard times. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen? And a lot of that persecution will come from within the professing body of Christ. But brother will betray brother in the end. Amen? But you make sure that you are loving people. Amen? That you are caring for people. And the church at Ephesus had left its first love. And they were called to repent. Now he says the goal Verse 5, let's break it down a little bit more. Now let's go through each part of that verse. The goal of our instruction. Instruction reparks back to what? Verse 3. Teach certain people not to, to, command certain people not to teach strange doctrines. And then he gets into people teaching the law, verses 7 and following in between here. He's sandwiched in between is this verses we're looking at 5 and 6. Verses 7, they're misusing the law. 
We're going to get into that another time because a lot of people are misusing the law today. They're telling people you got to keep the law of Moses, the Hebrew roots movement. It's all over the place, all over the internet right now. Huge movement. You got to keep the law of Moses to be right with God, you know. Generally, these people don't even have churches they go to. They just are all over the internet and people get sucked into it. Just like Galatia with the Judaizers that came in and bewitched them. We don't have time to get into it now because that's next week's study. But I'll tell you what, man, it's very interesting. Uh, he tells us the goal of our instruction. This is the goal. Not to go back and keep the law of Moses. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Starts with love from a pure heart. I love that, man. And the Greek word goal is teleos. And it, it, sometimes it's translated perfection or perfect. Uh, you know, it, it means maturity or a goal. Okay. In this context, the way the verse is constructed, it's speaking of the goal, the end. It's the words end in Romans 10.1. The end of the, Christ, the end of the law for everyone who believes. Christ, the goal of the law, right? Well, the goal of his instruction, God's instruction to us through Paul and the apostles is to have love from a pure heart. That should be a huge goal in your life. Is that a huge goal in your life? I mean, I said this to you in the beginning. This is one of my life verses right here. I go back to this verse over and over again just for my own walk. I memorized it years and years ago because I thought, wow, this is God's goal for us, man. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Amen. A good conscience and a sincere faith. Easy to memorize if you want to memorize it. But it's good to have goals. Every new year, people have new goals, right? How many people had goals just a couple months ago, January, a few months ago, uh, a few months back, to go to the gym? And they're still going, Right? How many of you doing that? Well, not going to the gym is not bad. Praise God. Hey, I want to build some muscle. I want to burn some fat. Or I want to get better cardio or uh, get my cholesterol better. Whatever your goal is, it's not necessarily, not bad, but it shouldn't be your main goal. The main goal should be spiritual. Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Amen. Our main goal, in fact, Paul says, go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Look what he says. For bodily discipline is only of what? Little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Wow. I love that, man. Physical exercise is good. It does benefit you in this, in this life. It's, it, you know, amen? But spiritual exercise is way better, way more important, I should say, because it's not only good for this life, but the life to come. Amen? And if, you're, if, you're, if your physical man is all in shape and strong and everything else, but your little inward man is like Pee Wee Herman, you know, you can't even bench a half a pound because you're not seeking the Lord spiritually, that's, that's weak, you know. That means you're empty with in, inside, you know. So it's important to be spiritual, to have the, a goal to be spiritually strong. And one of the main ways we reach that goal is sound doctrine. We've been looking at that, verse 3 but also having as our goal a pure heart. Love, love from a pure heart. Love from a pure heart. And one of the ways that happens is fellowship because you can't just be a bump on a log and become really loving. You have to have people to love, amen? You need to love God and express that through thanksgiving, through praise and worship. You need to love other people. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. That doesn't happen on an island where nobody else is at unless you can't help but be on an island like John the Patmos, but then you're praying for them, amen? 
you're still seeking the Father, cry not to be used. Amen? In fact, listen to Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and listen to how it instructs us how to love from a pure heart. Listen to this. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, verse 23 of chapter 10. For he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're supposed to consider, that means give thought to it. You're supposed to give thought, brothers and sisters, this is serious. You're supposed to give thought on how to stimulate people to love and good deeds. You're like, hey, how can I encourage people to love and good deeds? Then he says in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Wow. So one way we encourage, one way we show love, right, is by stimulating another, one another to love and good works, amen? And we get, don't forsake the fellowship. Because how do we have love from a pure heart if we're not loving anybody? How do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ if you're never around them, Amen. And I know some people, I know we have a ton of people by live stream that, that, you know, are having a really hard time finding churches. But there's still ways that you can show love to one another, amen? You can meet other people through the, in the live stream community that love Jesus, amen? You can meet other Christians in your community that maybe they see the same thing you see. You pray with them, you encourage each other, amen? You encourage your, your brothers and sisters in the live stream audience. You pray each other, with each other through trials. You share each other's burdens with each other. I've loved seeing, one thing that's blown me away is seeing people in our live stream community helping each other. Blows me away. I trip out when I see people from different live stream churches that are connected to Blessed Hope that are part of our fellowship through live stream fellowships flying over here to help this group, flying over, sending money over here to build that building. Or I'm seeing, we're seeing that. We're like, wow, look at what the Lord's doing. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. So we don't just love the people right next to us. That's a beautiful thing. But it's also, I, I see people helping each other who are distances away because they want to help each other. You want to be discerning and prayerful about that, of course. But I just trip out on some of the praise reports I get. I'm like, wow, you know. One brother just sent, I don't know what it was. One, you, know, a, a, you know, people have sent, Jimmy just walked in. People in this fellowship. And a brother that's not in this fellowship because he moved, but he's still, we, I just got together with my wife and I just visited the brother. Awesome bro. Sent a bunch of money to the mission field or to uh, their, the, uh, the, hopefully what we come an orphanage, but that little, you know, uh, Ministry to the poor outside of, uh, you know, Jim and, or Rochelle's old home. Not Jim's, but Rochelle's old home in the Philippines. It's beautiful. And I see brothers going, leaving one state, flying all the way to South America to help build, you know, I think it was Jim Van Eyf and his family. They went to Costa Rica from New York to help them build the building that's their ministry and out of in Costa Rica. Just blows me away. It's beautiful. So there's all kinds of ways we can show love in tangible ways. Amen. But just say, here, my Lord. Send me. But I don't know of any needs. You're not going to say that. I know that. You just look around. You just talk to people. You fellowship. You'll start to see needs pop up. Amen. And it could be time that you ch share with people. Words of encouragement. Talent that you share with people. Treasure that you share with people. Just, just being used by the Lord for his glory. Okay. So we need to be about seeing and helping each other's needs. So we don't just get in the fellowship to hear the word. Amen. We get in fellowship to hear the word. We get in fellowship together with one another to worship the Lord together as a community of believers. We get, get in the fellowship uh, with one another to not just do those two things, but also to minister to one another. I did a study probably two or three times through the years on ministering to one another. And we looked at all these one another's, love one another, encourage one another. There's all these one another's. That means that we are not islands, that we are supposed to be used 
by God's grace to his glory. Now, it's imperative uh, that we understand that when we're talking about love, we're not talking about worldly understanding of love. In fact, did you know the world had no real concept of love at all until the Christian church was birthed? Do you know the word agape, beautiful word that's used for love and that that took on a new meaning when people started in contact, when the word of God was, came to life in people's lives? The Septuagint, the LXX as we call it, after that was first published, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word agape, the Greek word was used and it's only after that that you start seeing in secular Greek that word being used of what you pour out to somebody else in a selfless way who's undeserving. And then after Jesus came and the New Testament was written, then that word just had a whole different meaning to people. Because Jesus said, for God so loved agape. Agapao in the Greek, that would be the the verb. Instead of the nouns agape, the the Greek verb is agapao. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. Agape again. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Women were look at just, just looked at as possessions. Wives were like possessions. But then you have this divine romance going on and it becomes, it becomes this, uh, this picture as to what we're supposed to be in our marital relationships. So profound. Love is at the heart of the gospel for God so loved the world. Love is at the heart of God's commandments. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, what did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and soul and all your strength and all your mind. In Matthew and Mark, one lists three, the other lists four things, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul, in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, he talks about how love keeps the whole law. It doesn't work evil toward its neighbor. Love doesn't steal from people. It doesn't commit adultery. It doesn't do these wicked things. So we're called to walk in love toward one another. Amen? In Galatians 5, 14 and 15. Go ahead and go to Galatians chapter 5. Because it's saying basically the same thing we read in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, which says the whole law, the whole law is summed up in love the Lord thy God, the whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Romans chapter 13 says love works no ill. And it obeys the moral law of God, basically. And then in Galatians 5, Paul says this in verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in what? One word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you what? Bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. What happens is Satan likes to bring dissension with among Christians, among brothers and sisters, and have them bite and devour one another. But we're called to walk in love toward one another, amen? To build each other up in the faith, to be patient with one another, to encourage one another. Not let Satan use our tongues, our mouths, our hearts. And it's interesting here, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Wow. You gotta be careful. Because you who are supposed to be used for God's glory to encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ can be used by the devil to bite and devour others and actually be used by Satan to decimate the body of Christ. We have to all watch that. 
In Tasmania, they have these interesting creatures called Tasmanian devils. They're made by God. They're not literal devils. But they've suffered a radical disease a few, quite a few years back. Devil facial tumor disease. Okay? It's decimated a large percentage of the Tasmanian devils. It's so serious. And this disease is gross, and it gets around their necks and their, their, in their mouths and their throats, and, it, and they end up getting suffocated and starving to death, which is quite interesting because it's, it's, a, it, it's a cancer. But you know how they came to believe they were transmitting this? If you ever watch the behavior of Tasmanian, Tasmanian devils, they bite each other. They just bite each other. Just, ah, they're always biting each other. And they found out that they are transmitting cancer cells through biting one another. Okay? And we have to make sure that we do not allow Satan to use us to where we're biting each other and decimating the body of Christ. National Geographic's website states, quote, Devil facial tumor disease, DFTD, is a unique form of transferable cancer that harms its victims by causing tumors to grow around the face. These tumors interfere with feeding patterns and lead to eventual starvation. Okay? Now, the Galatian church was being decimated with a different gospel. Who has bewitched you? Someone preached another gospel to you than, you than that which I preached you. Let him be eternally condemned. He warns about that. But he also warns how they about how they treat each other. There we have this emphasis again on, then he says, to walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Amen? And don't use the, the, the uh, uh, he says, don't use your liberty as a pretext for the flesh. It's a strong warning. He says the fruit of the Spirit is, Love, peace, joy, long-suffering. That's the fruit of who? The Spirit. The source of our love, guys, is from God. That means you need to cry out to God and say, God, you know, help me to be more loving. You have to obey his, what his word says, but you say, Lord, give me strength. Remember that song? More love. Remember that song? More power, more love. That's a good prayer, man. More love, more power. Timothy tells us that this is the source of love too. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So it's from his Holy Spirit that we're able to love. And that whole word, as I said, agape, agapao, uh, was re-understood because of Christians. In fact, you hear the liberals, the woke crowd talking about, oh, we need to be tolerant and loving and everything else. And where do you think they got the idea of love? It's not how the world was. They're like the prodigal son, right? Who's trying to use the father's money still in certain ways, but do their own thing at the same time, make up their own rules. Okay, just like they stole the rainbow, the LGBTQ, or they got so many LGB whatevers now, you know, 100, 100 different, uh, God help us all, man, but help them, uh, 100 or so plus now different genders, which is not biblical. He made them, male and female made he them, right? So it's gotten really crazy out there, but guess what? They've taken the love and they've taken it and distorted it to mean you could just do whatever and just let people ruin their lives and don't tell them, hey, you're heading off a cliff or you're heading to hell. This is all very, very important that we, we get this, that we understand this. And, and the Bible uses a couple different words for love besides agape. There's eros, which isn't used in the Bible, and that's a romantic love between a husband and wife. But there's also, as you know, phileo, which is brotherly love. And we're called to have phileo. We're supposed to treat each other as brothers and sisters. We're a family of God, amen? Recognize the people sitting around you are your brothers and sisters. Paul says in Timothy, to Timothy, to treat, the, your, to treat the ladies, the Christian ladies, as your sisters. Not heavy. Man, that means you need to have pure, pure eyes toward other people that are not your wife. Amen? If you're single, you pray that the right woman comes in your life. 
or if you, unless you have the gift of singleness. And then you just pray to be pure and be totally dedicated to Jesus. So he wants to have love from a pure heart, okay? And it's, it's interesting, love from a pure heart, right? Free of guilt and devoid of hypocrisy. That's what he's calling us to have. And it's interesting because he's looking at the heart. He wants our hearts to be pure. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he talks about the purity of heart that the sisters in the Lord are called to. And it says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So our, heart, our heart's that inner, our inner person, the inner core of who we are. And we're supposed to adorn that, adorn that heart with a, a, you know, a, a, you know, fear and love the Lord. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. So we're supposed to, seek, to have pure hearts. It's like, wait, I thought the heart's deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. Yeah, that's of the lost sinner. But when you're a Christian, God gives you a new heart, amen? amen? Now you're supposed to cultivate that new heart and grow in it and walk in the Spirit, amen? amen. And to uh, seek to be perfect. We won't be perfect, absolutely perfect until the Lord returns, amen? But that's our goal, to have a pure heart, right? A good conscience, a sincere faith. John Wesley, one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived, who won countless people to Christ, uh, wrote in his Christian perfection, quote, but whom do you mean by one that is perfect? We mean the one who is in the mind which was in Christ, okay? I mean the one in whom is the mind which was in Christ and who also walks as Christ walked. He's repealing the scriptures here. A man that has clean hands and a pure heart or that is cleansed from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. One in whom no occasion of stumbling uh, uh, accordingly uh, does not commit sin or practice sin. To declare this little, or this little more particularly, we understand by the scriptural expression, a perfect man, one in whom God has fulfilled his faithful word. From all your filthiness and all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will also save you from all your uncleanness. We understand hereby one uh, whom God has sanctified throughout in body, soul, and spirit. One who walks in the light as he is in the light, in whom no darkness is at all. Now, we won't have absolute sinless perfection here, but we're to grow in these areas, amen, to where, to where uh, having a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith should be normative for, for Christians, amen? And Paul in 2 Timothy 2, 20-22, he says, you know, to be vessels, if you want to be a vessel used for God's glory, cleanse yourselves of these things. He's talking about immorality. That he mentions wickedness right before that, the verse before that. And he talks about uh, false teachers who, uh, Hymenaeus, you know, and Alexander and so forth just before that. So we want to be vessels that are fit for the master's service, amen? Don't you want to be used by God? Well, we want to be used by God. We need to be vessels that seek to be pure, that seek to be, are sincere, that are crying out to God. When a surgeon goes into, you know, an operating room, aren't you glad that he's not like blowing his nose with his hand, you know? Aren't you glad that, you know, I mean, I want to get disgusting. I think I already started to, but, you know, aren't you glad that he uh, washed his hands really, really well, uses surgical gloves, wears a sterilized gown, and makes sure his environment, makes sure and others make sure the environment's sterile, amen? So it doesn't transmit corruption. God wants you and I to minister to people, but he wants to be vessels that are pure. He's calling us to a high calling, did I say absolutely perfect? No, that won't happen in this world. 
But we're to, we're, seek to, to, we're to seek to have pure hearts and grow. And I'm talking about growing more and more like Jesus, becoming more and more like him. You won't be perfectly like him until he comes. And then he says to have a what? A good conscience. Okay? Paul defines a conscience as that which convicts you of right and wrong. In Romans chapter 2, Paul writes in verse 14 and 15, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively, the Gentiles do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts through their conscience, which their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So in the Gentiles who don't have Jesus, they have a conscience where they, not the, they don't have the whole of the Old Testament law, civil, right, ceremonial and moral, but they have the moral law of God written in their hearts. In fact, we know from studies that were done at Harvard and elsewhere that little babies, little, you know, three, six-month-year-olds, they find they have conscience. That even Darwinists admit that babies are born with a conscience. They try to explain the way, like, well, maybe it's so they can learn how to just, maybe they got a conscience and evolved so there would be better cooperation amongst them. Well, that's interesting. You don't see even chimpanzees cooperating very well with each other. They steal constantly from each other and all that stuff, right? But it's interesting. We have uh, consciences. We don't just have, and, and in the world they have consciences. People are born with consciences. And biblically speaking, the conscience has a fourfold purpose. When you look at, if you sum up what the scriptures say about the conscience, and I, we could have done a whole study just on the conscience. I've done that before. I didn't want to do that. I want to cover more ground. But I want to say a few things about the conscience. Number one, it, the conscience that you are born with, it informs us generally of what is right and wrong. Generally, not always specifically, but generally. We know it's wrong to take things from people. We know it's wrong to just go and stab someone in the back. Number two, it urges right behavior rather than wrong. It doesn't just inform us, it urges right behavior, right, uh, rather than wrong behavior. Number three, it passes judgments on decisions or on an action. It passes judgment on a decision or an action. And number four, it produces guilt or commendation in the heart. It either condemns you, guilt, or commends you. Okay? And, you know, you remember Pinocchio? Remember his conscience? What was it? It's a little insect, a real well-dressed cricket, right? Well, we don't have crickets, and, we, our, and our conscience doesn't speak audibly to us, but our conscience uses emotion often. So when somebody does something good and they've been a blessed to someone, they'll have feelings of encouragement. If you do something evil or wicked to somebody, you'll have feelings of shame and guilt. God's given us a conscience. The English is, the, 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 the Greek actually means knowing together. The, the English conscience is with knowledge. To have knowledge uh, is very similar meaning. Yet Paul warns that uh, false teachers reject a good conscience. False teachers reject a good conscience. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that you by them, what? That by them you fight the good fight. Verse 19. Keeping faith and a what? Good conscience. Those are two things that are mentioned on the, on the uh, goal. Verse, chapter 1, verse 5. Keeping faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. You can shipwreck your faith and shipwreck a good conscience and shipwreck your faith. Verse 20, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. 
Guess what? If you don't listen to God's word, if you don't listen to your conscience and you rebel, well, God has other ways of trying to reach you before you go and burn and he'll hand you over to Satan if you really belong to him. If you don't belong to him, you already belong to Satan. But if you're a rebel like these guys were rebelling against God's truth, these were probably two of the men who had been teaching strange doctrines already, were already booted out of the church. Probably two of the, I believe these two were probably elders or from the fellowship there at Ephesus that Paul warns about in Acts chapter 20. And these men rose up and they've already been handed over. And Paul's concerned that other people are teaching strange doctrines. But he warns that these men have shipwrecked their faith, their conscience. And now they've been handed over to Satan. Woo, that's serious stuff. Yeah, because guess what? They've already blown it in regard to their conscience. Because the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where it says the Spirit speaks expressly the last time some will depart from faith. Remember giving heed to seducing spirits, seducing spirits of doctrine. It goes on to say, they sear, they're, they're liars, it says, and they sear their consciences as with a hot iron. You catch that? They sear their consciences as with a hot iron. You can sear your conscience. Your conscience speaks to you and so forth, but you can burn it so it doesn't work anymore. Think about it. I mean, what, is a, what, if some, what about a burn victim who severely burns their hand? Severely burns their hand. Guess what they lose in their hand? They lose feeling in their hands. Well, these false teachers sear their consciences and they don't feel empathy. They don't feel sympathy. They don't feel bad for people. They don't feel uh, pain when somebody gets drawn into false teaching or somebody is being rejected uh, by people whom God loves and not reached out to or prayed for or what have you. These teachers are about themselves. Uh, these teachers persist in sin. We read in 520, uh, those who, 1 Timothy 520, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Okay? So this is serious stuff. They are given over to dep depraved minds. 1 Timothy 6.5 says, constant friction between men of depraved mind, deprived of the truth, who suppose that God is the means of gain. Did you notice there's a progression there? Because understand, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, those, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but the hands of who? Very next verse. For wicked men shall go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So these wicked men will go from bad to worse. So some of these false teachers, they will reject a good conscience, okay, 1, 18 and 19, right? And then it gets worse in 1 Timothy 4, 1, they don't just reject their conscience, then they burn it, man, so it doesn't work anymore. And then in 1 Timothy 6, 5, they, are, they have depraved minds. So it's interesting progression, you see that? They reject their conscience, then they sear it so it doesn't work, then they have these depraved, wicked minds, yet they're in the church trying to deceive people. And they don't, they don't care about truth. They don't care. They're about money. In fact, we know that. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 5. 1 Timothy 6, verse, chapter 6, verse 5. Speaks of them having constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that what? Godliness is a means of gain. If you have the NIV, that godliness is a means of financial gain. It's like the word faith teachers on television. Kenneth Copeland, these guys, a lot of these guys don't even have a conscience. They just rip people off left and right. Verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. Wow. But as Christians, 
We're supposed to have a good conscience. In fact, go to 1 Timothy 3.9. 1 Timothy 3.9. Paul says of deacons who are, you know, those who are, one of the qualifications of a deacon is holding the mystery of the faith with what? A clear conscience. In 2 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in all my prayers night and day. It's interesting. Paul uses conscience like six times in the pastoral epistles, which I think is interesting. Uh, now, we're not saying that the conscience, your conscience is the ultimate arbitrator of right and wrong and is the ultimate expression of truth. It's not because a conscience can be misinformed. See, a conscience is like a mechanism that God's given us, but it's not always, it's not personal. Like, for instance, the Holy Spirit, amen? The Holy Spirit of truth. He, the Holy Spirit will never lead you straight. That's God's presence with you. But non-believers don't have the Holy Spirit, but they have a conscience. But if you teach somebody, a little kid, uh, superstitions, or like, you know, step on a crack, break my mother's back. Oh, no. I gotta, oh, no, I feel bad. Pain, because I'm going to break my mother. Oh, their conscience is at work, but guess what? Because a conscience can, is not, it's not informed by God, except on a general basis. So the specifics, that's why we need the word of God. Amen? We have our consciences resurrected. Those who in the world have seared their conscience, they need to come to Christ, have their conscience resurrected, but they need to be informed by the word of God. Are you with me? Amen. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but by the one who examines me is the, one who examines me is the Lord. Ultimately, the Lord is the final arbitrator. Amen? So we study his word. We want to make sure we please him in all things. There's a gal that wrote a book, okay? Xaviera Hollander. She wrote a book called The Happy Hooker. And no, I didn't read that book, but I read about it. And she's a prostitute who wanted to silence people who felt that you couldn't be happy as a hooker. And she writes in the book that you can be a happy hooker. And she said she doesn't feel bad about what she's, she does. She doesn't have a bad conscience. But she, admits it, but she admits at first she felt bad. She's sleeping with, you know, probably married men, right? Stuff like that. And she said, at first I felt bad, but after a while, I didn't feel bad anymore. Because she seared her conscience. Oh, she goes on to say in that book, oh, I did start to feel bad. I do feel bad once in a while. If I hear church bells chime, then it reminds me I'm, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I don't know sure exactly what it puts because that's when she feels a, a sense of shame, you know. Because her conscience is being resurrected. Brothers and sisters, we need to be loving church bells to people. Amen. Let them know that sin has a mighty cost. It costs us our souls. Soul that sins, it shall die. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a what? Sincere faith. We want to have a sincere faith. Now, this word sincere is English word sincere. The etymology of the word is not clear. It's, it's actually a, a word that is, uh, uh, you know, they're not sure of the etymology. But some believe it's from the word, uh, uh, the Latin word sin or S-I-N-E and sira. Okay, S-I-N-E, sin would be without. And sira, C-E-R-A, means wax. So that would mean without wax. 
That these words originally meant without wax, which is quite interesting because uh, wax was used to fake people out. Like if you were a sculptor, there were sculptors that would have, I mean, you're working on, hey, I'm making this image of this gal that this guy wants an image of his wife and I'm making this beautiful image. And then guess what? He whacks off the nose in accident. You got to start all over? Think not, man. That's a lot of marble. It's a lot of work. So sometimes they might get some wax and mix it with some of the powder in, in the marble and stick, the, you know, stick a, there's your nose. And it looks like, oh, it looks great. It looks good. Guy's out there with his friends and he unveils it. I love you, baby. It's our honey, our wedding anniversary. It's beautiful. Oh, then the sun starts beating down. And then her nose melts away, busted. So that was a fraudulent way. In fact, I read that masons, you know, corrupt brick masons, because wax is cheaper than mortar, <laughs> would sometimes build with wax. It looks great. Until it gets too hot. And all the bricks start shifting and it, the building collapses on your head. Amen. You want to be without wax, sincere. Like I said, we're not sure of the etymology of that word, but I think it's quite fascinating if that is the, uh, the English word that is. Without wax. We want to be sincere. We want to be real. The world has a lot of hypocrites, amen? The word uh, for hypocrite that in our English was used in biblical times, Greek word, and it was used for the actors, right? Remember, they would, an actor would, a lot of times they were trying to pretend they were a god and they were trying to be possessed by that god and they put mask on, right? And they were hypocrites. They were actors. As Christians, we cannot be hypocrites. God wants us to be real, amen? He wants us to love each other. No one's perfect in the fellowship. No one's even close, Amen? That's why we have to confess. We, it's important to confess our sins to God, but it's also encourages, important to encourage one another and pray for each other, amen? Just be real and say, hey, I need help, man. Please pray for me in this area. And then be serious about your walk. Be serious about your walk with God. I mean, right now there's two actors, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Is that her name, Heard? Very popular. They're in a big trial right now over who abused who or whatever, you know? He's suing her for calling him an abuser. And both are going to be probably very effective up on stand. And it's be hard to tell who's lying because they're saying the opposite things about each other. Because they're really good hypocrites. Okay? They're really good actors. Okay? But God's called us to a higher standard than the world. Amen? God's called us to be real and, and recognize that we all, none of us are close to perfect. We all need to rely on the blood of Christ. Amen? None of us stand before each other perfect. We're all works in progress by the Holy Spirit. Amen? We're all growing in grace. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, Jesus says. Peter says, be holy as he is holy. That's our goal. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. But we also are patient with each other. We're like when you pass a construction site, you see on the house, you know, under construction. We're under construction, amen? So it's important uh, that we, well, how do we, can we tell the difference though? The Bible says, test everything, hold fast that which is good. The Bible says if they speak not according to the words because there's no light in them. The Bible says if they don't confess Jesus Christ come in the flesh, it, you know, don't believe that spirit. We're supposed to test everything by God's word. Amen. So God wants us to have, and Jesus, he wants us to be, have a sincere faith. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 7 to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, or teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Okay? Jesus said they were like graves, man. 
gravestones, man. They looked beautiful on the outside, but inside they were corrupt. God wants us to be people of the heart who truly have hearts for Jesus and ask for cleansing by the blood of Jesus, right? And ask to be filled with his Holy Spirit to live for Jesus, amen? And don't think you can't, can't do it because millions of Christians have done it and are doing it right now. You just have to put one foot before the other and just decide that I'm going to follow Jesus, amen? Sometimes you're going to get frustrated. Sometimes you just say, man, I blew it. Sometimes you're like, Lord, help me. But you need to go back to the Lord and ask for cleansing, amen? Say, Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me of my, my sin and help me and, and wash me and give me strength to obey you and follow you, amen? And you just keep seeking the Lord and keep seeking to grow in the Lord. So we want to have a, a very, very uh, sincere faith, amen? Verse 6, last verse, and we'll just spend a minute on, a few minutes on this. For some men, strained from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion. So some people were strained from these goals here, these three things that are so important in our Christian walks. And they've turned to fruitless discussions. And it goes on in verses 7 and following to talk about how they're misusing the law of Moses. And they don't even know what they're talking about, Paul says. And they're quibbling about genealogies and all myths and mixing Christianity with lies, all this stuff. It's fruitless discussion. They've wandered. They've wandered. In fact, at the NIV, I was looking at the NIV. What the NIV have there? I think I might have written it down. NIV has uh, wandering. We have in verse 6, strain, meant strain from these things. I think strain is better than wandering. Because wandering, you can just wander innocently, almost. Strain is like, like a stray dog. Over the fence, gone, you know. I think that New Revised Standard Version probably has a better translation. It says deviating. Because the Greek word actually has a moral connotation of deciding between right and wrong and making the wrong decision. It's not just wandering. So these men are wandering. That's why it's very serious when you look at verses 19 and 20 with, with Hymenaeus and Alexander. They've rejected the faith. Amen. And they've been had over Satan. This is serious, serious stuff. Serious. Because you could just be a little bit off and not really be concerned about it because you don't have a good conscience, sincere faith, love for your heart. And you just, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not living how that, that guy is. Man, I fast twice a week, you know, like the Pharisee said. You know, I give to the poor, but you're not sincerely following Jesus. Woo, that's serious stuff, man. Because you're deviating from the truth. You know, in the uh, Korean Airlines, back in 1983, I was a Christian for just two years. And uh, Korean Airlines flying out of New York, 269 people on that flight, took off, and they were only one degree off, just one percentage off the course. But you know when you're just one percentage off course, what that looks like after hundreds and then thousands of miles of travel? You get way off because you start off just a little bit. You get way off. And they flew into Soviet airspace and Soviet military jets blew them out of the sky. 269 of them. One of them was one of our congressmen, United States congressman. Remember that? Yeah, he was a conservative, actually. And uh, really crazy. So uh, we have to make sure that we're serious about staying on track but right doctrine just doesn't have to do with, you know, uh, heavy theological concepts. Right doctrine is, 
having love from a pure heart. That's right, doctrine, that God wants you to pursue love from a pure heart. Amen? That he wants you to keep a good conscience. Amen? That, that he wants you to have a sincere faith. So we, that means we need to grow in grace. And it says they've turned to fruitless discussion. Fruitless discussion, that's serious. What did John the Baptist say in Matthew chapter 3 for the, to the Pharisees because they weren't bearing any fruit in their lives? Yep, you're going to be like, that's right, sister. Like an axe laid to the tree, you're going to be thrown in the fire and burn. Jesus said the false prophets, you'll know them by their fruit. Amen? Peter talked about adding to our faith various virtues in 2 Peter chapter 1. And by adding to our faith these various virtues, we won't be fruitless in our knowledge of Christ. Amen? And we'll have this glorious entrance into the Lord's kingdom. Make your calling election sure, he says there. So all this is very, very important. But guess what? <clears throat> I want to encourage you, before we leave here, just a couple things. I want to encourage you to cry out to the Lord and pray that we have love from a pure heart. That's the first thing he mentioned. Paul says in Psalm 50, I'm sorry, David wrote in Psalm 51.10, creating me a what? A clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's after he fell into adultery. He, he didn't have a pure heart, a sincere faith, a good conscience. And he finally got right with God. Psalm 24 verses 3 and 5 says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in, the, in, a, in his holy place? Who has clean hands and a pure heart? who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of our salvation. So to pray, Lord, create in me a clean heart. And when you have good consciences, how do we do that? Well, if you're in sin and you haven't confessed your sins, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14 says this, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkle on those who are ceremonially, un ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. Cleanse what? Our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Isn't that heavy? He wants us to be cleansed from filthy consciences so we can serve the living God, just like Timothy, right? Vessels used for God's service. How do you get cleansed? It says right here, offered himself unblemished to God to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. Their blood can't do it, but the blood of Jesus can. Amen. So God's spirit can give us, can purify our hearts, amen? God's blood that was shed on the cross paid for our sins so we could ask for forgiveness of our sins. And when you're forgiven of your sins, you don't have to have a dirty or guilty conscience because you're forgiven, amen? amen. Oh, you might still think about, oh, I can't believe I did that so many years ago or months ago or days ago, whenever you've blown it. But if you've asked the Lord for forgiveness and you're sincere, right, and you're seeking to go forward, you're cleansed of that. You're washed of that. Amen? You've been washed white as snow. So then if the enemy comes to you with regard to that item or whatever you've done in the past or the multiple things that you did from the past, brethren, if any of you turn from the faith and one brings it back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Don't, the enemy can't harass you. He can harass you, but you don't accept that, Right? You say, nope, I'm trusting the blood of Jesus. I have a good conscience because I've confessed my sin, amen? So you have a, a love from a pure heart, the Holy Spirit living in you, 
wanting to love through you. Lord, help me be a vessel of your love. Amen. You have a good conscience. Amen. Then you seek to obey the Lord. You have a good conscience. You slip up in some way. God, have mercy on me. Help me to do better next time. Please, Lord. Amen. And a sincere faith. Sincere faith. Pistis, the Greek word. Trust him. Amen. Put your trust in him. Faith. Look to Jesus. Amen. Amen. The author and the finisher of our faith. And the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7 through 9. And I didn't want to hurry this part up because it's the most important part. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not some, not most. All sin, amen. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, verse 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from, there it is again, all unrighteousness, amen. Let's all make sure we leave here today with hearts that have been purified by the blood of Christ, with conscience that have been purified by the blood of Christ, amen, by faith that's become sincere by the precious blood of Christ and by looking to Jesus, amen. So let's pray right now. If you don't know Jesus, he died for you just like he died for everybody else here. He died for the whole world. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you shall be saved. Amen. So do that right now if you haven't done that. Let's all pray. Father.